I'm gonna ask you to get reflective right off the top. So I know I gave you an outline and uh, you may have a pen. I want you to kind of put that down. I want you to draw a circle around yourself. Even if you have to, close your eyes. And I'm gonna ask you, what is the biggest challenge you're facing in your life right now? Maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's work or maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's aging parents. Maybe it's something that's going on in your family, maybe with one of your kids. What is your biggest challenge? I wanna put it another way. If God could remove something in your life in an instant, what would you want him to remove? You got it? I want you to listen to these words. I encourage you today to believe actively that our heavenly Father constantly spreads around us providential circumstances that work for our present good and our everlasting well-being. Now, there are some of you here this morning when you think about the biggest challenge in your life, you may be struggling with God and him helping you in your life. But the wisdom of God is very, very important. And for me to talk to you about God working everything together in his providential care might be, you might say, well, Johnny, that's easy for you. You've got, you've got it together. Look at the church is great. Family is blessed in so many ways. You might say, well, you would say that. You're a pastor. You say that. I want to tell you that beyond me trying to push our last two through school, first two were girls. I felt like they walked us to it. The boys are a whole different thing. Can I get an amen from that? Amen, yeah. Whole nother thing. Uh, this last year has been very difficult. In 2017, we found out that Sherry's dad had dementia and he died within six months. He died this past January. A month later, my dad collapsed in West Virginia completely out of the blue. And now, since then, he's just not been himself. Very perplexing, weird. And finally, we've come to the place where the diagnosis is Alzheimer's. So he hallucinates. He is not himself. It's awful, awful. Many of you prayed for Sherry and her loss and for my dad. And you know, my mom, neither one of them really are in good health. What's hard about that is we're not around them. So I have to make quick trips back or I have to talk on the phone every day to mom as I'm in the car. And that's hard. So last week, um, Last Friday, 
we got a phone call. We, we knew that uh, Sherry's mom was going to go to the hospital because she's going to have trouble breathing. Well, in the middle of the night on Friday night, this is a week ago Friday, um, we go to the hospital. And at like 3.30 in the morning, a doctor tells us she has two masses, one on each lung. So we stayed with her until Saturday night. As Sherry and I both said, today is fall fest. Turn the page, move on, and trust God in the middle of this. And so last night, or yesterday afternoon, sorry, at four o'clock, we were called in with the oncologist, and the news wasn't good. It's not good. And moving forward, we don't know exactly what that will look like. But I want you to know, uh, Sherry and I both are, well, I'm above 50. I will not speak for her. Okay, so I'll just leave it at that. I have some wisdom, all right? But we have learned, and this is what I want to say to you today, because some of you might question what we're going to talk about today. You you can trust in the wisdom of God. And just listen to me. I mean, I wish I could speak to you just eye to eye right now. I want to say to you that God is good. God is good through it all. I also say to you that God is sovereign. God is in control even when it seems like all the whole world is spinning out of control or your life and things may happen. Sherry, would you say that God is sovereign? Yes. And God is holy. He is perfect. And while we live in a fallen world where we can't hardly figure out what it, how his perfection and how there is, he is absolutely perfect. We know that he's separate. There's an otherness to God. I also come to you today to preach you this message to say that God is all wise. And so I simply just ask this of you. What a difference would it make in your life if in the most difficult times we could believe that God is all wise? What difference would that make in your life? And how is it that we can learn to trust and rest in the wisdom of God? Because I think in the fallen world, we struggle with that when things happen. And for you students, you might not be dealing with what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with 54-year-old stuff. I mean, I understand that. For you, it may be when things don't work out. You've wanted, you've tried, you thought, you dreamed, and then something doesn't work out. And you, you wonder, can I trust in God's wisdom? Because here's what I want to talk to you about. And what I'm asserting is this, that God brings about the best possible ends by the best possible means for the most people, most possible people for the longest possible time. And you can trust him. 
So I just wanna kind of briefly talk to you, like what is it we're talking about when you say God is all wise and what is it that he has wisdom? What is that? What am I talking about? Uh, Burkhoff said just exactly kind of mirrors what I just said, and that is this definition is that attribute of God whereby he produces the best possible results by the best possible means. That God, as, as Jordan talked about, when we talk about the real God, that God's not only sovereign, but he's also all wise, that he's working it together, even when things in life mess up, when other people mess up and when we mess up. Uh, here's what Webster says, and I only say this to try to help you understand what we're talking about when we talk about wisdom. Now listen to me, because I'm not trying to be boring right now. I'm really trying uh, as hard as I can, all right? Anybody help me out here this morning? I'm trying as hard as I can. To, Webster says this about um, wisdom. The quality of being wise, the power of judging rightly and following the soundest course of action based on knowledge, experience, and understanding. And so you see the root words there are to see and to know. And so if this attribute, it's this attribute whereby God produces the best possible results by the best possible means. And so this root word is to kind of see and to know. And so here's what I'm saying. God, because he is all wise, God knows all things actual and possible. And we can't quite understand that. But this is who God is. And you might say, well, Johnny, where do you get that? Well, I look to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, where it says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing and finding out. To say that God is all wise is to say that God knows everything and he sees everything and he's working together for good. From Tozer, we read, wisdom among other things is the ability to, to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. Now listen, and it sees the end from the beginning. And this is what I wanna encourage you to rest in. And that is that God is the only one. We don't, we don't know sometimes whether we're halfway through something. And I hear people say, boy, things couldn't get any worse. Yeah, they can. Yeah, they can. We don't know. But God knows because God knows the end from the beginning and he knows the beginning from the end. And so how is it that God has revealed his wisdom to us? How is it that we know this about God? So I want you to know that today too. And I put this stuff in your outline. How is it that we know that God is all wise? What would you, how do you know that? Well, the first way is through creation, just through stepping outside and going outside, you can see the wisdom of God. 
Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they proclaim the work of his hands. And day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. So when we look outside, and this is something Sherry is better at this than I am, and that is, that all you have to do is step outside and you can see a sunset, which, you know, lately it's been at like 6.15, 6.30. Now it's going to be some other time. I don't know. We're all going to be surprised tonight and all that stuff. <laughs> I know that. But when you think about the wisdom of God, you can just literally go outside, look at that sunset and go, man, God has worked everything. There was a lot of things that could have gone wrong. If our axis was off just barely, like a half a degree or a degree, then we'd either froze to death or we burn up. But God in his wisdom has just worked all this through creation. And you can go out and look outside and look at the fall and you're like, whoa, isn't that interesting? Things are the most beautiful, even in creation when they're dying. And you can see all around you sort of the intricacies of creation. Also, we find out God's wisdom through redemption, or through providence, forgive me, I wanted to skip one. I'm not skipping providence. The second way God reveals his wisdom is through what's called providence, and that's, kind of a big spiritual word. But Psalm 33, we read this. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Many people want me to be more political when I preach, by the way. A lot of people want me to get involved, say... I heard a guy on the radio say, if your pastor doesn't preach to you about voting, leave his church. First of all, I can get my cues from some guy on the radio when I preach, all right? I'll, just, I'll answer to God for what I preach. So I will give you my many thing. Vote on Tuesday. Do what God's leading you to do. That's my sermon on the voting thing. I touched on it. Here's the bigger thing. Hitler thought he was creating the Third Reich. He thought he was fixing it. He was going to get rid of those Jews. He was going to clean this thing up and get this thing right. And it was going to swallow the world. And it was going to be a new millennium. And the white Aryan race was going to finally have its way. And I'm sure for the six million Jews and Christians and others who died through the middle of all that. We cry out and go, oh no, where's the wisdom of God in this? Hitler's dead. He's gone. Stalin's dead. Idi Amin dead. Gone. Blip on the screen. Even out of that mess, the nation of Israel was created in 1948 as a fulfillment of scripture that was given in the book of Ezekiel and Daniel 
And we have now, in our lifetime, seen the nation of Israel not only reestablished because of that horrible event, but God in his wisdom has allowed us to see that. It's providence. So many people think they are in control. I heard it. Did I say this last week? I don't know. I, heard, I read it. It was really fascinating to me. Man plans, God laughs. I think it's a Jewish proverb. Here's the truth. God shows us his wisdom through his providence. And then another way that he shows us his wisdom, how do we find out about the wisdom of God? Is through redemption. God is revealing. He does it through the nations and through providence and through creation. And this third is through redemption. And so I want you to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. And Paul is explaining uh, his great message of wisdom, and it is the wisdom of redemption. It's what God has done through the purposes of Jesus Christ. And he says this, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, the spiritually mature, all right? But not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, unbelievers who are coming to nothing no we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began think about that think about what he's saying to all of us sitting here today there is a wisdom there is a secret there is a plan there is a purpose there is something that God is orchestrating and Paul is Going on, he's saying, none of the rulers of this age understand it. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit. And the Spirit searches all things, and even the deep things of God. And what Paul is talking about here is redemption, and that's the wisdom of God. God giving the possibility of choosing. He knew that this would come, and so the second person of the Trinity, Christ, he comes and he will save people. And then finally, he grows up, he lives a perfect life, and then he is going to choose people because he brings redemption and he uses people. So what does he do? He chooses a bunch of blue-collar guys to get the job done. You've got Peter, John, James, fishermen, a crook. You've got Matthew, a zealot. And he uses these men and women who follow him, and they are, and his, him using them is the wisdom of God. God's wisdom, I mean, I can imagine at the birth, okay, so God uses a teenage girl and gives birth at the cave stable animal place. And whenever that happens in Bethlehem, I'm sure Satan was like, really? That's it. It's the wisdom of this world scoffs at the things of God. 
And God was doing something behind the scenes. He was redeeming his people. And that's how God, the most important thing I want you to hear is that Jesus is the very wisdom of God incarnate. He reveals his, we, we learn of his wisdom through his son. His wisdom is always active and it never fails. Jesus is alive. We learn his wisdom. So how do we respond to this? I mean, how is it in the time I have remaining, how is it that we learn to respond to what God is doing? He shows us through creation, through the providence that he's brought us all to this point here and that he is redeeming his people and that we know this and we can have a relationship with Jesus because of this. How is it that we're supposed to act upon this? How do we respond to the wisdom of almighty God? Well, we find the answer in Ephesians chapter five, verse 15. And there's just these very simple, what we must do to live wisely. In Ephesians 5, 15, what does Paul say? He says, don't be unwise, but be wise. Don't be unwise, but be wise. He says, be very careful. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Make, make the, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So it's very important for us to not live as unwise, but as wise because the days are evil. So I would encourage you, with something that I know I've repeatedly said from this stage, and I've said it over and over, and I'm gonna to continue to say it. And that is one of the great things you can do, and something that I have seen in our family, is something's really important, and that is for you to learn, for you to learn how to ask what Andy Stanley calls is the greatest question ever asked. Now, I wanna be honest with you. I don't know if I agree with that. It sold a lot of books and everything, but uh, it's a really good question to ask. The greatest question he says ever asked is, in a moment, what is the wise thing to do? So let's just, just kind of, let's just like use the illustration of like sports. Okay, so like Landon's a great runner right here, okay? Really good runner. Runs long distances, so he's in the middle of the season. He's coming down to regionals, and he has a choice. He's going to go out, and he has a choice on what to eat. He's going to order from the menu. He's out. He's about to run in a couple of days, and he is sitting at the table. He's about to order, and he's got a choice. He can get the double Whopper with the French fries or the onion rings with, you know, a Mountain Dew, or he can probably get like a bunch of protein, maybe some pasta or possibly, you know, some chicken, or some fish or something like that with a salad. And at that point, he's got this choice. Now, as an athlete, it's like, oh man, I really want to win on Saturday. That's what I want to do. But he's got to make a choice right then about what he's going to do for a couple of days. What is the wise thing to do? Because here's the deal. When you ask this question, you always say, based on what I know. Like Landon's old enough to know. 
you are what you eat. He knows that. He knows that. He knows he's smart enough. He knows. He's in high school. He knows what he's been told. He knows his coaches, his parents. And based on that, and then also where I want to end up. Like, what's my goal? What's my, what's my dream? Where do I want to end up? What do I want to do? That's where that question's asked. Based on what I know, based on where I want to go, what's the wise thing to do in this moment? And there's where it's so important. I think actually in my family, uh, the girls are getting older and everything, so they don't mock us or anything, but they sure do have a lot of fun uh, with us. And they kind of joke about this question. And they'll, every once in a while, they'll pepper it back at me. Dad, what's the wise thing to do? Well, right now, it's not to be mean at you. That's the wise thing. It's kind of a joke, but I'm telling you, this is so important. I mean, you could think of it like, okay. And we do it through things like, hey, you're going back to see your dad. It probably, what's the wise thing to do? It's probably not to leave at seven o'clock at night now that I'm 54. I don't know if that's the great. Hey, man, when I was 24, I'd be like, yeah, let's leave at midnight. Sure, all night long. It is the wise thing to do. We ask this question a lot. I make this point to tell you, you guys who are high schoolers, I know you're not dealing, I'm I'm the above 50 thing, I know, I know I'm asking a different set of questions, but for you guys, it's different. You have to ask this question Friday night when you go on a date. You have to ask this question when somebody asks you to go to a party. I have friends who are still alcoholics who've not held a job in 15 years because they are alcoholics and they had their first beer as an eighth grader and it got out of hand. At what point did it become debilitating? Guys, it's a slow, slippery slope. Live, don't be unwise, live as wise. You're gonna go off to college. Your mom and dad aren't gonna be there to manage your life. You've gotta make your decisions. And you've got to ask this question, what is the wise thing to do? Some of you young parents, some of you young couples, asking this question is so important. What is the wise thing to do right now? Based on what I know, listen, based on what I've heard, what I've been learned at church, and what my parents have told me, and all that. Because I appreciate that you guys want to become more independent. And I appreciate you guys want to parent in a different way maybe than what your parent, what you saw. And I appreciate all of those things that go into your life. What I'm saying is you have to ask that question, what is the wise thing to do in the future based on what I've been told and where it is? Because so many people say, oh, I want it all. I want to marry, I want to marry the woman of my dreams. I want to have the great, I want to make a difference for God and I want to do that. Don't live as unwise, live as wise. That's the first thing. So you say, well, how do you do that? How do you do, act out that? Well, there's a couple of things I think that have to guide us in the question. The first thing is we have to revere God. That's the beginning point. In fact, at the college where I I went in Philippi, West Virginia, Alderson brought us, by the way, now university, represent, sorry, it's like a small little school of a thousand people. They got a football team, so they called it university, all right? 
Somebody wanted to ask me, you went to Baskin Robbins University? No, I went to Alderson Broadus College, which was in Philippi, West Virginia, on top of this little hill. It's really a beautiful place. But in the middle of the President's Hall, it had this Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's a great passage. In other words, our reverence for God is where it begins. For us, listen, for us to see and to know the fear of the Lord is where we begin. The idea that we revere God, that's where we begin. If we want to act this out. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 28. And he said to them, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. So I would encourage you in that. Second thing is we must read and understand his word. It requires growing or receiving his word. There is no way to live wisely without the manual that helps us to live wisely. Psalm 119, verse 97. How, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. So I'm encouraging you to read your Bible. And it's not just a little bit. And I want to tell you one thing. It's about reading your Bible and then getting it into you. I know many, many people who know a huge amount about the Bible. They are students of the Bible, but listen to me. They don't put it in them. They don't, they're proud of how much they know about the Bible. Let me tell you something. I have heard many Muslim clerics who bash Christianity, who know more about the Bible than most Christians, but it's leading, their life is leading to death. They do not believe in the almighty, the real God. Folks, knowing something is not the answer. It's about knowing someone, and you get to know someone, you get to know Jesus by looking at his word. So it's getting it in you. It's about getting the word in you and walking in it and putting it into practice. Knowing, reading, and understanding his word. And guys, the truth is, for many of us, I would ask you, how many videos do you watch? How many magazines? How many YouTube videos do you watch? How many books? How many TV shows? How much stuff is going on in your mind versus how much truth from God's word is getting in you. I, uh, I'm also a diabetic, and so I'm fighting the fight. And so every three months, sometimes four months, I go to the doctor. And before I go to the doctor, I have a blood draw. And when I do that, they come back and they tell me what my A1C is. That means where my blood sugar has been over the last 90 days. And I can lie to myself, I can lie to my family, I can tell everybody, it's great, you know, doing all that. But you know what, man? When I go to the doctor and A1C pops up, that's the truth. That's the truth. Garbage in, garbage out. My A1C is going to prove that. I want to encourage you, the word, understand his word. 
don't just have a steady diet of what the world produces. Here's another thing of how we live wisely versus unwisely, and that is we must ask for wisdom. Pray for it. One of the very rare times in James chapter one, verse five, in the Bible where God absolutely says, if you ask for it, I'll give it to you. Rare. James chapter one, verse five. If any one of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Here's the last thing. We must learn to trust in the Lord completely. That's wise living. That's a part of us walking in wisdom, is learning to trust God. As we were driving home last night, Sherry and I kind of all, I mean, we're not brooding like vipers. We're not sitting around. I, sometimes we, I, Sherry has to watch me a little bit. I'm like, <sighs> like that. But as we kind of get in the car, as we go home, as we talk, I think some of us, sometimes we look at each other and we're like, okay, now what? The truth is we are now old enough to have seen enough to also know that we can trust the Lord. You see, listen to me. My pastor, uh, Bob Yaber, he says to me, he says, uh, and I've said this before too, I know. He says, Johnny, if I'd only done the things I planned to do, I would have missed the best God had for me. You know what, I can say, Sherry and I can say that. Sometimes things that we thought, oh no, dead end. Oh, what are we gonna do? This is bad. Doesn't God see us? Or things that happen in our life are like, what? I can't figure this out. This is not good, this is horrible. And later we see God do things in and around that. Like, oh, and we will never know. We will never know, but we're living now where we don't see everything. It's like we're seeing through some of that thick glass where you could see there's something on the other side, but we don't see clearly what it is. But one day we will. But until then, we walk by faith. I just want to encourage you today to trust the Lord. Trust him completely in your life. And I, I want you to know that in you, when you put your trust in him and you say, Lord, you're, I'm gonna trust and try to walk wisely too. I'm gonna try to trust in the wisdom of God. I, I trust in the holiness of God. I trust that you're sovereign, Lord, that you, you are in control, that this thing isn't spinning out of control. And that, Lord, I also know, Lord, you're good. And I'm not gonna, in this moment, I'm going to trust you completely. When you do that and you act on faith, God is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him and put their trust in him. Would you pray with me right now? Father, as we bow in reverence, there are so many stories just inside this room and so many different people who are at different places 
And Lord, you understand everybody here. You know everybody here. Lord, you know that from the creation of the world, this moment would happen. And that, Lord, we, as your children, that we would be here. And that, Lord, you are redeeming the whole world and that you've given your son. Lord, trusting you is easier sometimes said with our lips than it's done with our lives. So, Lord, I pray today, help our unbelief. Help us, Lord, as we doubt and when we can't see exactly everything that we should do, Lord, help us to trust you. Help us, Lord, to trust you in parenting. Help us to trust you in marriage. Help us to trust you when we go to school. Help us, Lord, to trust you in friendships. Help us, Lord, to trust you when we go to work. Help us, Lord, to act wisely and to trust you. And Father, I pray in the middle of that, as we continue to fix our eyes on you and to trust you more, that you would be not only glorified, but that you would show yourself glorious in our lives. Do something, Lord, among us that, the, that you would be glorified and that, Lord, you would be lifted high in each person here. And Lord, us as a group of believers, help. I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified because we trust you. Help us, Lord, to do that in every way. And Father, help us to continue to pursue you, even as we leave this room, that we would continue to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, this morning, while we were worshiping or while I was preaching, something might have been said or done that you would like to follow up and talk to somebody. And maybe it is you came here this morning with some bad news and maybe something that as you, get, you came here today, there's a burden on your heart and you really would like to pray with somebody. We have folks right over here that would love to pray. I would invite you to the cross and if you'd like to pray with somebody before you leave today. And I pray that we would this week, all of us would trust in the wisdom of God. God bless you and have a great week.